0: Hey everybody, we're super excited for our friends of the show, Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugees. You may remember way back in episode 16, Josette was on the show. Well, a lot's happened since then. Starting November 25th, you can pre-order their new EP, Live at the Black House, put out by Black House Records. This limited edition vinyl comes with five previously unreleased new tracks, and every copy comes with a download card for a good free... 6th track. This album was also recorded on an old reel-to-reel for that authentic vintage sound. Check them out at blackhouseinc.storeenvy.com johnnyjswing.com or blackhouserecordsinc.com If you love motorcycles and good music, you're not going to want to miss Johnny J and the Flatfoot Fugees. So mark your calendars and pre-order on November 25th, 2016. Why are you looking out the window? Okay, it's the Halloween episode. Let's get it started. Welcome to Creative Riding, where it might get a little weird, but it's always motorcycle related your host. Listen, I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this <laughs> thing. After and isn't that funny how line. people say not to be an asshole, and but I've seen anything go on to be, be an asshole. Video. Oh, baby. I don't know, did it, Wheelie? I can't tell if he's just revving the motor and being a jerkwad. My skin met the asphalt, but these new ki- new ways kit my... Might... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever
1: they do with cocaine. <laughs> the guests i ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage
2: it's a cafe racer with alloy makes racing tank and clip-ons and all that jazz and the thing's beautiful i just love the way the norton sound the soma
3: actually was purchased by uh the barber vintage motorsports museum right so that's where she lives now
2: oh man bro i was doing 200 miles an hour and my fingers are coming off the grips. This is in and out of traffic. Um, I got to wheelie through an
1: intersection on that. <laughs> Rad. Was, yeah, it was a little unexpected, but I got some applause from the homeless guy at the bus de- bus bench. That was pretty fun. I think my
4: dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Peewee 80 when I was four years old. And the first thing I did was loop it in the bushes, showing mum how cool it was. Um, but I learned the lesson that, if you're gonna take something like that off-road and really abuse the hell out of it, it, it doesn't. It's not really roadworthy after that. <laughs> All season, my bike's been having a problem hopping off the starting line. Like the back end of the bike will hop real bad, and I'll have to let off the gas and get back in it.
0: And I would go to Jesse's and hang out upstairs in the whole building at West Coast Choppers, and he'd let me sit there and just watch him. yeah, yep, that's, that's creative riding. riding. Sit, sit back, back and enjoy and the ride. The ride. All right, all right. Hey, welcome, everyone, to episode 49 of the Creative Riding Motorcycle Podcast. This is going to be our Halloween episode. Uh, We've been uh, soliciting ghost stories from people worldwide and well that didn 't quite work out as well as I hoped, so it was it was like the solstice slam minus seven, so at any rate, uh, yeah, no we really we really got some good submissions so i 'm really excited i 'm um, excited to share with you all the things leading up to this uh, episode uh, something I want to mention though a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the Halloween activities. The show went ahead and turned one year old right under my nose. I've been talking about it for the last couple episodes that I think we're coming up on our one year. And we actually have. And oddly enough, it happened on the day that uh, my Halloween excursion went sour. So before we get into all that, happy birthday to the show. Yay! And uh, we'll do a really special episode uh, 50. How's that? And congratulate every one of you that's been on the show and shake your hands and slap your butts and all that good stuff before we get into this show a little bit of housekeeping i want to do uh if you listen to the last week's motorcycle and misfits podcast well this week's the beginning of this week you'll hear that they came down for the red bull straight rhythm and that was pretty exciting in and of itself altimotors making a big showing i believe um, coming in fourth place against gas bikes, which is really exciting. And I mean, that's, we'll talk about that in the future. I'm really jazzed about the future of motorcycling and the future of what's possible and technology and all that crazy stuff. I seem to harp on it in one or two episodes and then just revel in it in the next couple ones. And then I flip flop back and forth. I'm like a, I'm like a flim flammer, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, they were down here. Uh, checking out the Red Bull Straight Rhythm. And, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't go. I had something I had to do. But in the morning that they were down before they had to head that way, uh, after Jim finished up with his old Denny's hooker or whatever tramp he got to hang out with the, them in the room, probably while Liza was sleeping unknowingly, they came down for a little ride through the Angeles Crest. And now don't give Liza any crap. It's not Angel's Crest, it's Angelus Crest. There's another E in there that there's uh, not present in the word angels. So we promptly headed up to Newcomb's Ranch, which is a little restaurant just in the middle, just about in the middle of the two which goes from Los Angeles to Wrightwood on the other side over by the the i15 and the Cajon Pass and stuff, so it's it's on the eastern side of the um what is this the Gabrielino or the Angeles National Forest, these mountains and basically it was a, it was a it's a ride up and back because if you keep going, you're gonna end up over there you know on your way to Las Vegas or the desert or whatever. so we kind of went up there and ate. And it was a really nice morning. There was no smog, and I thought it was going to be a little bit cooler than it turned out to be. So we kind of layered up, and that was probably good because riding up there can get pretty cold when it gets windy and stuff. So anyway, we it was perfect. We go up there. uh, We took a few snapshots. There was you know once we got to Newcomb's Ranch, there's always motorcycle racing on TV if it's on. So they had MotoGP on. Few bikes in the parking lot not as many as there usually are there was a Z Club there so we went and perused all the Dotsons which I learned was Liza's up the butt car and yeah we streaked across the parking lot we took a couple pictures with our shirts off but Liza dropped her phone on the 405 on the way back to Santa Cruz so there's only one or two photos on my phone that remain and of course those shall remain. Tightly kept under lock and key. So on the way up, we, you know, we cruised. I tried to go as fast as I could on my little 250 for them since they were on bigger bikes. And it was really nice. Once we got behind some traffic, once in a while, we could look out over the valley. And it was really nice. Like I said, there was no smog. So it was really a pretty day and really, really nice and. Really cool to look out over the mountains. I'm usually looking at them from down here and it was nice to get up there and look down. So, yeah, it was a really nice uh, ride. I tried to set a good pace. I I hope I did. You know, I was not quite flogging the shit out of my little 250, but, you know, I didn't want to go super slow. So at any rate, I tried to make it good up and good down and and, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. We shared a lot of ideas and talked a lot of stuff. One thing I wanted to point out is that Jim is, like, 100% rock and roll. And Liza, just talking to her and listening to how passionate she is about, like, everything motorcycles, right? I mean, she was, like, telling me that uh, I need to blow off my family and go over to Pakistan ASAP for the ride of my life. You know, she's just like advocating for all these motorcycle trips and, you know, motorcycle this and that. And it was really fun. I could see how the whole reason I'm really drawn to that show, if you obviously if you listen to this, you listen to them is you know the sense of community and the sense of what's the word i'm looking for not like you know just she's a champion for all things motorcycle you know what i mean and having fun on motorcycles and bringing old bikes back to life and looking forward to new bikes and all stuff so it's really cool and being with them in person was just like that i mean it was so cool and I felt like reinvigorated, you know, because a lot of I, everything I do around here pretty much by myself, you know. And so that's that's all right and everything. But just hanging out with them, I can see how that garage just must be pumped. You know, every single time you you ride in there or somebody new comes in on something, I could just see her interest and in, in how it draws everybody together. So that's something that I, I was really, really uh, stoked to be a part of just for a couple hours. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, they parted ways, and it's so funny because the next day, uh, I think they missed it because I tried to touch base with them, but it just started pouring, uh, you know, old ladies and sticks. It was just, it was raining so hard, and uh, I got cut out on it with my family, and I was just thinking, man, like yesterday, it was such a perfect riding day. The weather couldn't have been more perfect, actually, and then today, it's just like dumping. Like, it was weird, and I found out they seeded the clouds that day, so... Yeah, I'm glad they came down and we got our ride in because that would have been such a shit ride to get stuck up there on the hill in a crazy rainstorm. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Something else that she pointed out to me is that my show has been getting all political. And I thought, really? Has it? And then I thought about it, and I guess it kind of has. I guess, in a way, after thinking about what she said, it's just... What's kind of been thrown at me, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about the EPA and I saw a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, Germany banning, um, you know, the the diesel and gas motors and it kind of has all been rolling into one huge ball. It's so easy to build off that ball. I mean, politicking and politics is a huge part of motorcycling and a huge part of the industry. So I don't know. I guess I took kind of a political turn. I'll try to get back into the fun side because – to be honest, we don't ride motorcycles to stand on a soapbox and talk about all the crappy things that are bringing us down, do we? That's just me, right? <laughs> That's just my show. So at any rate, yeah, I, I will get back into the fun stuff and we'll talk about some really great, great motorcycling things to do. But on this episode, we're going to talk about motorcycling things not to do and some scary stuff and, oh, man, I can't wait to get into it. So... uh Yeah. What's that noise? Damn it. I got to tell you, these last couple weeks have been plagued with some crazy things going on. Just tonight, my dog, all of a sudden, asleep at my feet, bolts upright and is just staring out the window. And it's like, what the hell, dude? And it's late at night. It's kind of creepy. I'm just getting ready to record a Halloween episode. And then now I hear this weird, like, high-pitched wearing sound and it's probably coming from my computer but it sounds like it's coming from like right outside i don't know what's going on but at any rate all this weird stuff has been happening uh, for the past couple weeks which incidentally is when i took a ride to kind of gather some information for a ghost story of mine we'll get into that in a minute let's start out with something that one of our listeners submitted
4: It was the middle of winter, late at night, driving around town with some friends looking for a place to hang out like typical delinquent quids do. We knew of an old abandoned mill deep in the woods outside of town. There was a recent storm a day or two before, so there was a good six inches of fresh pack snow on the ground. Driving up the dirt road to the mill, about a half mile long, It was all virgin snow, no tire tracks or anything leading to the abandoned building. We got out of the car and did some exploring around the area. I can't recall really why we were there, probably looking for a place we could do some drinking without getting hassled by the popo. We weren't there too long before hopping back in the car and reversing down the dirt road driveway. Within about 10 feet of backing up, We noticed a clear set of footprints, deep tread marks in the fresh snow, walking right up the middle of our car tracks, leading directly under the car and up to the mill. They were separate from our footprints and led around the side of the mill where we hadn't been. The footprints definitely weren't there when we pulled in. It was pretty freaky, so we just got the hell out of there ASAP. So that's it, my real life ghost story.
0: Oh my god, that is freaky. Thank you so much, Bri Viffer, for that uh, submission. Man, if you've ever heard the story of the Jersey Devil, how he walked or it walked one night through just across the whole, I don't know, the whole county. And it went over barns and over wagons and under stuff just like that. That is pretty freaky. Why the hell is there cold air blowing on me? What is going on? I'm totally freaking out. This is totally stupid. It's a Halloween episode. Not really supposed to be having crap happen to me. God dang. All right. Well, the next story is chilling. And uh, to help me out, I figure I'd help in an expert on the subject. Uh, we got Satan here to help me read this next story. Come on in, buddy.
3: <laughs> thank you. I'm so happy you called me in to be part of your show. <laughs> All
0: right, bro. Read the damn story.
3: So this creepy story comes from a man in Wisconsin named Car Cheap Trick. His story starts out like this. So my creepy story goes back about eight years ago. A good friend of mine, Dan, and I were out on our super motos. We both had DRZ400SM's. We were north of home in Washington County, roughly 30 minutes straight north of Waukesha. There's a place up here called Holy Hill. It's a huge, beautiful twin-steeple church built on top of the biggest hill in the area, and it's very hilly. It's a wooded area. It was about this exact time of year, and we headed up there on an unusually warm evening. It had to be close to 70 degrees for us to be out as late as we were in October. Some of the best roads and riding are in the Holy Hill area. We made it to the area around dusk, and were just riding random roads and enjoying the weather. Uh, Both of us have a pretty good sense of direction and never really felt lost, but as it got darker and clouds rolled in covering the moon, no lights in the area and road names became irrelevant. Since we didn't know the area great to start with, we didn't know which roads went where and our compass, the moon, was gone also. Neither of us had a smartphone, and so we kept riding, which felt like in circles, no matter which way we turned at intersections, we could not get out of what seemed like the same damn road. Mind you, these are narrow, twisty, hilly gravel and tree-canopy-covered roads. We stopped at a few intersections to see it... Either of us had a clue which way was up. We both agreed we were not really sure where we were or which way to go. We kept riding, looking for a main road, and at this point it's so dark that at 25 miles per hour, we were outriding the beam of our headlights. The hills and twists and turns had us at a snail's pace, looking for cues that we had been there before. We both felt like we were riding in circles, and literally I lost in a ten-square-mile area in pitch-black darkness. As we continued on, I started feeling something like a panic attack. The feeling that there was something just off the road watching us. Blowing leaves and crackling branches is all that breaks the night silence. The hair on my neck is standing up, and I'm getting goosebumps. I stop and say to Dan, ''Something isn't right. We need to get the hell out of here.'' And Dan doesn't usually say much, but he had a look, and I knew he was spooked as well. We managed to hit an intersection we had not crossed before and appeared to be a main road. We hung aright and bailed fast, not even knowing north from south.'' We lucked out, and the next sign we saw indicated that we were headed south toward home, and the moon, previously unseen, came out from behind the clouds. Once close to home, we parted ways and ended the ride. We both still agree there was something weird that night, and I refused to go back to that area at night at all. Even during the day, I recognized nothing of what I saw that night. It was very Twilight Zone-type feeling. About a year later... A county highway worker was out picking up roadkill, dead deer and such, and he had stopped to fill out some paperwork when something got in the back of his truck and took a dead deer. All he could say was, it was big. Who knows if we were being hunted that night, and I'm not a supernatural Bigfoot believer type, but something wasn't right that night. I've only shared that ride story less than five times, and I've never had that feeling before or
0: since. Oh my God, Satan. Thanks for that rendition. That was great. And thanks for Car Cheap Trick for sending that in. Uh, I corresponded with him later, and he said that there are stories of a Bigfoot type thing being spotted in Washington County, but you can never believe that shit. All I'm saying is that is creepy. I hate those feelings. I hate those feelings that something's off in the bushes watching you. Uh, One time while I was on my own two-wheeled adventure, uh, mountain biking, of course, uh, I had a feeling something was watching me. Just the creepiest feeling. And then later that day, I went and looked on the neighborhood forums on Facebook or whatever, and sure as shit, there was a mountain lion spotted in the area where I was. Not a hundred yards from where I was riding. So did it see me? Probably. And somebody took a picture of it off their front porch, staring toward the area where I was traversing. So kind of creepy. And as I may talk about in later episode, probably never will, uh, they're kind of correlating the fact that the energy that you pass through the air, when you feel the the hair on your neck bristle up or you feel someone staring at you, there's actually people studying that phenomenon, trying to figure out if there is some sort of actual energy causing that stimulus. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, Mr. Car Cheap Trick, you may have got that feeling because you were being watched by something. Indeed. And Holy Hill... Holy hell. So, the next story I want to tell you takes part on October 15th, 2016. <laughs> nice fade out, dickhead. Ruined my intro. Well, as part of my show, I wanted to do a ride to some place that I knew had been haunted. And, uh,. Proctor Valley Road down in San Diego, California has had a history, a rich history of hauntings and all sorts of crazy sightings ever since the late 60s. Part of this was due to the satanic panic of the 70s and the 80s. And if you don't know what that is or you're too young or whatever, look it up. Um, I I must have caught like the tail end of that because I wasn't around back then. But I got a chance to talk to someone who was, and we'll talk to them a little bit later. But I organized a ride. The whole trip, let me just start out with this whole trip, ended up going a little bit sideways. And it was kind of weird because I'd been planning it for a couple months And just getting the area figured out. And and I had never personally been down Proctor Valley Road, but I'd heard of it a lot of times. Um, Spent some time down in San Diego and uh, in my youth. But, you know, what I wanted to do was go down there and find out what it was all about and ride the road. It's a dirt road that connects some really uh, um, old part of cattle country and whatnot in San Diego to Two communities, one a little bit more rural and one that's getting built up and developed so it's kind of interesting to go down there now you're driving through a very planned developed neighborhood and then all of a sudden there there's a yellow sign that says pavement ends and you're just on this crazy road and part of it is rough shod pavement that was probably paved a long time ago and has just crackled back to earth and then shortly thereafter it just turns to dirt. Okay, where do I start? Well, let's start out with the day of the ride. I had gotten contact with uh, Crash from the uh, Cafe Racer podcast down, you know, he's in San Diego, and I thought, you know what, let's do a haunted ride. Let's go, let's take our recording equipment and go out there on this road at night. You know, I'm not going to go out there at 3 a.m., which is like... The magical mystery witching hour for every paranormal geek out there. But, you know, let's do a night ride nonetheless and go out, and there's no nothing out there. So there's not going to be any street lights. Hell, if there's no full moon, it'll, we'll just have whatever lighting our bikes provide. Right. So, uh, talked to him and, uh, I had talked to my friend who, uh, I had, i do rides with when I usually go down to San Diego. She was on board with it. Uh, I talked to Tim, who's one of the co-owners of trophy motorcycles down in, in San Diego. And Tim, you know, he takes his triumphs out and he's done a lot of off-road stuff and some really cool stuff. And he's familiar with the area and they were going to go down there off-roading, uh, at one time or another. And he told me, listen, it's, Pretty much fenced off or roped off out there. Uh, they've built a casino out there, so it's not quite what it used to be. There's hella traffic out there now, on because it's a rural community that has a casino in it now. So you still have these rural-sized roads, and obviously people want to go out there and gamble. So you know, one lane each way times the five trillion people that are going out there now is going to make it a little sketchy. And, uh, okay, well I will check it out. So I, I ride down on the morning of October 15th. Now my bike, I have zero problems with it. I modified it in 2015 to go racing at Delmar Fair and, uh, did a little flat tracking. So I got a number plate on it. I had to make, you know, make the number plate on the front and then fit a headlight around that. And then Get all the wiring harness and stuff there. And I've, you know, built, bolted some brackets, welded some brackets up, bolted them on, uh, got everything fabricated a little electrical box, got everything hooked up and and, uh, mounted, and I've never had any problem with this bike Having even having flat tracked it and crashed it on the dirt and uh, took it off roading a couple months ago and no problem then nothing banged loose everything good and I took it on some pretty rough stuff uh, you might have seen if you go to our Facebook page you'd have to scroll back a few months to the feed but I mean I ended up jumping off my bike and getting in my friend's FJ with him because like I just on street tires I couldn't get around anymore was, that's how gnarly the stuff I was riding up was zero problems rode 75 miles back home right after we you know we bombed out there drove around in his jeep a little bit I bombed back had to go down the same crazy hill that we came up and and uh made it all the way back to tarmac and then made it 75 miles back home zero problem. And ever since then, I've ridden my bike plenty of times, zero problem. Well, on the day that I go down to, uh, make it go down for this ride to San Diego, uh, crash kind of bailed out the night before I emailed everybody and said, you know, I'm coming down and crash. Couldn't make the ride. Okay. That's all right. Maybe I could hook up, hook up with them, uh, beer or something while I'm down there. Who knows? But on the ride down, I get to roughly Temecula, maybe not even as far as Temecula. And that's about halfway between, uh, where I live in LA down to San Diego and my headlight on my bike flops over and it's a, it's got one bolt I've got a spring there mounted to it for tension and torsion, you know, just put a little tension on it so that the nut won't back off or anything on the front side, keep everything kind of stiff and rigid. So it's mounted to a rigid bracket that i welded up and have never had any problems with. It's mounted via this big ass grade eight bolt. So it shouldn't shear. It's got a spring on it to keep tension on like the mounting, the little mounting bracket that it came with because it's kind of flimsy. And never have had a problem with it, even jiggling or wiggling or anything coming loose. Well, on the way down, like I said, it it's sitting there and it rotates all the way down. It basically is pointing up and then flips. And one, I look down at the nut and I can I can barely see the the bolt is flush with the tip of the nut. One more turn and this thing's gonna come off and go into my front wheel, and I'm. Going over the bars at 80 miles an hour on the freeway. I don't want to do that. So I pull over and I jam it on and uh, I go ahead and I start hand tightening it back on because I can't. I've had my Leatherman on me. But when I left that day, I thought to myself, I don't need tools for this ride. I'm going to go down to somebody's house where and and stay. And uh, yeah, I don't, you know, there's no, I don't need tools. So basically, um, I did need tools, and luckily, I had my leatherman on me, but i didn't use it i hand, I pushed the the bolt back through and hand tightened it and got that that spring is hard man it's a it 's a crazy really really, really taut tense, thick spring, so it's hard to push it back in to mount the light it 's hard to explain what I was doing but the spring is pushing against the light, keeping tension on it, and the bolts mounting from the backside of the bracket with the lock washer. And so, yeah, I thought with all that pressure, there's no way this thing should have unthreaded or even jiggled or wiggled or come loose, but it did. So, pardon me, I make it about, oh, shit, I don't know. I'm going to say 20 more miles down the road, and it does it again. It's already backed off significantly. And when I pull over... By Temecula, there's literally like 500 bikers that come out of nowhere. And I don't know what they're doing or where they're going, but I just link up with them. Dude comes over on a Harley and he's like, hey, man, you all right? And I give him the thumbs up and he's like, all right. And he takes off and they're just behind. He just broke off from the pack. He must have been like one of the shepherds because this whole just like, I don't know, miles and miles of bikes this extended back there might even have been more than 500 there could have been closer to like 800 or something and i mean i had time to fix my headlight as they're streaming by me and get it fixed get it back on get back on my bike get out into it and i'm still like mid pack of people so i don't know what was going on but i just decided to cruise with the these guys they were doing like Mm, 60, 65, which is uh, probably around the speed limit or a little bit less than the speed limit, but that's okay. I figured if if I'm with these guys, I'll just cruise. Cars were getting out of our way and everything, so it was totally nice, and I thought, man, it's kind of cool to ride with a big group of people I haven't done it in a long time, and I'm literally with hundreds of people right now. So as we keep going, they get off in Main Town in the Main Street, uh, Temecula, which I know has a huge biker seen every you know once or two i don't know a couple times every every year they have like a big bike thing and they have a hot rod thing in the summer they got all sorts of cool stuff what the fuck are my lights flicking for now goddamn this this whole thing is just terrible this whole last two weeks has been terrible since this ride so let me just get this out of the way um so yeah so i'm going down and make a long story short i finally get down into like poway or mosquitoes or something like that. And I get off my bike and I get my Leatherman out and I finally just grab it and start wrenching on it. Cause it started to back off. I, I was looking at the nut more than the road at this point. Cause I just was like, Oh my God, it's turning slowly, slowly every like three or five miles. It would like kind of rotate like a eighth of a rotation. So I still had like another like 70 miles to go or something. And, what the hell, you know, it just kept backing off. And so I finally just pulled off and had enough, tightened it down as hard as I could with my Leatherman. And it really went on far that time. Like I realized with my hand, I just wasn't doing that great of a job. So got some leverage on it. It's hard to get in there. That's why I didn't use my Leatherman the first time, but I just said, screw it. And I got in there and I cranked it real hard and got it back on. Finally get down there and I was like hour and a half behind my family who had decided to go down with me too, and, uh, or two hours even. And I said, man, I had to stop like th- three times. You know, The first two, I didn't tighten it very well. The third time, I just totally cranked it down. Here I am. I'm going to run out to this road, Proctor Valley Road, and check it out before we do this night ride tonight. And uh, never heard back from Tim because he had already kind of told me the road is washboardy. The road is, you know, not very good. You can't off-road out there anymore and kind of, you know, just kind of warning me there's probably better places to go. Well, that wasn't the point. The point was it's haunted and there's folklore and legend behind it. And so I wanted to go out there and do a little pre-run. And there is a history museum the Bonita Heritage Museum, I think it's called. I have the flyer up in my office. I should go get it. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a history museum of the area. And they have some really cool photographs from way back at the turn of the century when it was literally just cattle ranch and when, uh, you know, the first – Californians or Americans came and the Spanish still own part of it. They still have like pictures from then. And then they go in and supposedly there's a cast of this giant footprint that's 18 inches tall or 18 inches long from the 1970s. And I actually spoke to a local there or or a local who grew up in the area and said, yeah, there, I remember that cast being like in the newspaper or something like that. So go down to the museum the ride there was fine. Once I get there, they're having a freaking book sale. They've got all the artifacts in the museum crowded into one little corner, and this cast of this foot is nowhere to be seen. They've got, you know, old scythes and milk buckets and uh, old pictures of the the one store that used to be out there when it was all dirt roads, and there was a little store on the corner of Dirt Road A and Dirt Road B. All of these crazy animals of the area, um, even like some upcoming stuff, zero things about anything scary. And I, I kind of see why they would want to bury any bad publicity about the area, right? Why you would want to sweep a Bigfoot or a giant minotaur, as it's been described. Uh, you know, campy crap like that. When you're trying to build a heritage museum, I guess doesn't doesn't fly. So A, none of the scary stuff was on display. And B, nobody wanted to talk about the legends that ran rampant from the 60s into the 80s or even 90s. And I've even still seen, i when I was doing research for this show, I looked on Instagram and Twitter to see how recently people had been posting. And there's some from this year. And there's a lot of paranormal research websites and things like that, that have actually gone down and photographed proctor valley it's a beautiful place actually and it does have like a crazy history now I, i do my ride my my headlight almost takes me out on the freeway not it didn't almost i guess i shouldn't say that if it had came off and was dangling by my wheel okay but it did turn upside down and was threatening to come off so i had my headlight go crappy on me three times Um, I get down there and the museum is having a book sale and there's zero artifacts of the satanic panic stuff that happened or the old folklore and legends. Uh, Nobody there wants to talk about it. Nobody seems to acknowledge it and they look at me like I'm crazy. So I have to ride down and just do the road at that point. Okay, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for nothing. I'm just going to go ride the road. So I get down there to the road. The road literally does go through a new development, like I mentioned earlier, and then turns to dirt. Well, I get out on the road, and I encounter some of the craziest washboard that I have ever ridden on, and it was bad. I've been on some roads that were paved that had washboard, and this these dirt washboards were just, I mean, oh my God, it was super hard, and at first, I was trying to go slow over it. You know if you hit a bump slowly, it seems to magnify it cuz you feel every inch of that bump but if you hit a bump fast your suspension soaks it up and you don't soak it up so it doesn't feel as bad so what i what i learned on the way out was that you got to fly this shit you got to you got to get up to speed And so I'm kind of going fast. And then I come across some vehicles and I'm thinking, man, that, you know, this road started out deserted. Why would anybody be out here on this road? You know what I mean? There's one old guy that owns most of the valley still, I think. And he's the only guy that usually is out there besides kids in the middle of the night on the weekends. And... There's like Lexus's and Mercedes, a couple of Jeeps go hauling ass. I think all these dudes are Froden, but what about these other weird luxury cars? and then I start thinking about this might be a back way to that casino, but people are going super slow and I had to pass them. I mean going slow on washboards is not the way to do it. I was getting shaken apart, I feel like, and you know I was just my suspension is I, my bike is like a street bike, you know, and and flat tracking is about the best thing to do with it besides riding on the street. But this is like hardcore washboard and my suspension is just like getting killed. So I go by the people when I can and it's just throwing dust, you know, it's super dusty. And I think, man, there's just a lot of people and I'm kind of afraid to go by them too fast because you could luckily you could see through a lot of the straightaways, but some you couldn't. And Uh, you know, I didn't want to come around a corner and get taken out by somebody. So, uh, when I could see that it was totally clear, I'd pass them and then I'd start going and then you really have to go fast on this stuff to not get shaken apart. And then I started thinking, dude, these speeds at night, no way, there's no way I could do it. And basically, um, especially with my friend, her bike is down. So she was borrowing her friend's Harley. No way. And especially with dim ass headlights or even, you know, even good headlights to go that fast on this road with, you know, who knows what and to go down in dirt like, oh, man, it would have been terrible. So right away I started thinking this night ride tonight is a bad idea. And I, I went through the whole road and, and there's some really sharp turns. It's kind of like it's a zigzag shape at some point. So you don't do these like wide sweeper turns. You do like a sharp turn on dirt and you got kind of got to pin it. So I kind of had to have my foot out motocross style through some of these turns And there's three or four of them. And then you get to, you get past all of it and you finally get to some pavement. And I passed a few cars. You know, there was a couple cars out there. I didn't know what everybody was doing. Sightseeing? What the hell? Like this road isn't that popular. The only thing it's popular for is that back in the old days, it connected uh, Hamul and um, Bonita or Chula Vista. I forget the name of the towns, but that's it. And it went through like a farm valley and that was it. You know, and it's super out in the middle of nowhere with no street lights, no other streets. This is literally like a dirt connector road through the old country. And so it was really weird to see all these cars on it. And I get to the other side of the road and I'm finally so happy that I can get back onto pavement. And when you dump out in Hamul, you kind of go by where the San Diego Mods versus Rockers ride is. So I've been out there, a few, I've, been, I've gone to that probably like five times out of the last 10 years. And I know where like most of the roads are and stuff. I knew where I was going to go back to, you know, where I was going to head back into um, town from. And I get out there and I can already see this uh, through the trees. I could kind of see a power pole leaning over and I thought that's interesting. And I could see some flashing utility lights and I thought there must have been an accident. Well, I get over there and there's a highway patrol blocking the road and he's pointing me like turn around. You got to go back. The roads blocked because someone had crashed their car into a power pole. And the pole tipped, and the line went down over the road, and no traffic is getting by. So your, like, 10-minute ride or 15-minute ride back to where you're staying is not happening. Uh, I got to turn around and there was only like two or three streets from the dirt road to where I made it. I mean, it was literally blocked right almost immediately after I got off that horrible dirt road where I thought I was going to shake the meat off my bones. So I turn around and I go back to the one of the streets and I start going up it and there's it's a dead end. I turn around, I go one street further back and go up it and I see a couple walking. And I stop them and I say, hey, is, does this connect through to Lions Valley Road, which is my escape route, basically back to the uh, 94 freeway? And they say, no. Uh, the, I say, is there any another way out of here? And they say, the dirt road. And I say, the dirt road I just came from? And they say, yeah, there's a dirt road that'll take you to uh, back to Bonita or Chula Vista or whatever it is. And I said, oh, I just came from that way. And they said, well, yep, that's the only way out right now, this car hit a pole and it's going to be closed for like a few hours rest of the day maybe and it was already late in the afternoon it was probably like 4 30 in the afternoon the sun was kind of setting I had this eerie feeling riding out there already and I was like great now I got to go back through that so I turned around and went up one more road just thinking maybe just maybe this road curves so I went around this corner and I drove up and it basically like a Half a mile in, dead ended. It was such a crap, you know, crapshoot. And the old lady said, "Well, you know, yeah, you you might be able to take that bike out into the preserve there and make it around where there's where it's cra- where that crash happened and get to the other side of the road." And I thought. I probably could, lady, but there are signs like every 12 feet, no off-roading. They've, they've apparently, it used to be you could off-road out there and there are some trails and I could have got out there and, and bypassed it and come back on the road somewhere else where the little dirt trail came on. But they turned it into preserve, I believe, because I think I saw some signs. I think I saw some weird little things out there with the like plant samples or something, tags, whatever. Whatever it was, you, you're not allowed to off-road. And so I said I could, but, you know, with that cop sitting right there and a whole bunch of signs and I'd literally be the only moving thing out in that valley, uh, I think that's kind of a dumb idea. So I bit the bullet and I turned around and I went back, back down the dirt road. Now, this time I went back, I hauled a little bit more ass just because the faster I went, the better it felt. I flew the washboards. I stayed on top of them. It was not as bumpy as going slow on them. It was like really terrible going slow. And I felt like I was going to wash out because there were some sandy sections. And I was just so glad that my friend on her Harley didn't come down there at night And wipe out in that dirt or in the sand and just lose the front end and go down on a borrowed Harley, you know, that she's borrowing from a friend while her bike's getting fixed. I was glad that I didn't waste Crash's time because I know that his bike is a triumph but i don't think he's got knobbies or anything on it i don't have knobbies on mine but i'm just saying you know i I don't know how comfortable he is on dirt because you really had to fly this thing but at like 40 or 50 miles an hour on this dirt road at in the dark of night and i'm telling you there's no street lights or anything would have been stupid so i get back home and i just felt like i was rattled to pieces i just i couldn't believe it and uh Well, I don't get back home. I get back to the place I'm staying and I call and text everyone and say, the night ride is off. The night ride's off. There's no way I'm subjecting you guys to this. There'll be an accident. One of us will get hurt and uh, it's not worth it just to go out there and record. I've already been out there and took some pictures and recorded during the day. And yeah, just not worth it. So... After returning back, I I knew uh, I got in touch with somebody that used to live out there during the heyday of that. And and, uh, so I do have a firsthand account of somebody that was alive back then and and went out there during that. And I think we'll play that here in a second. But I'm just so glad that I didn't subject anyone to that ride just for, you know, a few minutes of audio out in the dark, creepy road. When I got back, I do have to say I saw something sitting on the top of my swing arm and I looked down and the insulator pad for my battery had literally jiggled out of my battery box. That's how bumpy and crazy this road was. So I slide it, I take my battery out and slide it back under the cap on my battery that runs. I have a gel battery even, but it's got like a maintenance cap or something. Maybe they can like re. Do the battery. The cap had like jiggled off the top. And I mean, it slid into a slot and locked. That had jiggled off. My fucking mirror broke. Like, that is how bad the jiggles were. And of course, my headlight needed to be retightened like a mofo. And so that was that. On the ride back home, once I got home to Los Angeles, uh, and by the way, I like hoped and prayed, like I didn't bend a wheel or anything, at least not that I felt. I, I got home and a couple of days later, I noticed that my uh, bracket that I had welded and never had any problems with since I've made it and, you know, to mount my number plate to was sheared. And the only thing holding, I, there's I have like two brackets, two at the top and then the one beefy, huge. It's like eighth inch or quarter inch thick steel plate. I mean, it's, it's thick. That thing was sheared. That's how bad the bumps were on this road. They sheared my bracket, shook my battery off. I mean, I literally tightened my bike up after I got home because I was like, and gave it a, uh, valve or gave it a oil change and there was oil leaking all over the front, and it's like, holy shit, I like almost vibrated my bike up part, you know, like that road tore it up, so yeah, that was my weekend and things having and that was on the fifteenth things haven't got better since like such weird stuff. I ran out of gas on the way home from from down there, and i I had like filled up all, before I left, and I ran out of gas on the way up here and I was like, how, like 20 minutes from home. How does that happen? Like I've never run out of gas between San Diego and LA. It's like not doable. I ran out of gas. Don't ask me how. And yeah, just the weirdest stuff and, and, and work and life, everything got crazy since that ride, and now my lights like flicker all the time here. the hard drive is going out on my computer. I hope I can get this episode out. I may be pleading for a new computer before the next episode comes out, but yeah, the hard drive's been acting up and fidgety. I almost was scared that I lost all this audio, and uh yeah, work got crazy. My kids have been getting hurt left and right It's nuts like after that ride, weird things have just started happening out of the blue, and my dog freaked out uh as I was beginning the recording uh, last night just popped up and started staring out the window for no good reason. I heard some clunking noises in the kitchen earlier like it's just so crazy the stuff that's been happening in the in the past couple of weeks since I went on that ride to Hellville Proctor Valley All right well let's hear from our guest that I uh, was able to interview Well here we are with my guest okay. And we're not going to use her last name because, as I found out later, her brother is uh, in a motorcycle club and may not be allowed in the state of California and may have some warrants or be wanted. So we're going to leave out last names here. All right. Well, I'm here. I went on a ride down Proctor Valley Road, and I talked about Proctor Valley Road a little bit previously, but I'm with somebody here who has experienced proctor valley firsthand back in its heyday during the, the, uh, years when it was popular for ghostly sightings and whatnot. Um, so I'm here with Kay and it was actually a gloomy day when I sat down with Kay in the morning, it looked like it was going to rain. It was ominous foreboding weather and somehow it, it brightened up just a little bit as we sat down to talk, but she was spending some time with her grandkids and, and, uh, had just a second to sit down and talk about Proctor Valley. So uh, I'm going to hand it off to you, Kay. Um, Proctor Valley. I talked about it earlier. It was known for ghostly sightings and this and that. But firsthand, uh, did you ever go down there when you were a kid?
2: I did, but don't let my mom and dad know because I wasn't supposed to be there.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll make sure they don't hear this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was it? What was it known for? Uh, Like back in the day, uh, besides, you know, a creepy, scary, haunted road.
2: Oh, that's where everybody went to make out and drink when they weren't supposed to and get rowdy. That was the party place because we were waiting for the ghost
0: to come by. So was it basically that was a pre-party, but was there actually were people actually scared of that road alone or dark or anything like that? Or was it was that just all hype to freak your parents out?
2: No, there was a sighting of Bigfoot down there, and so everybody knew the legend of Bigfoot going through there, and even the footprints were there, so you didn't go there, you never knew where you might end up.
0: Did you ever have anything creepy happen to you or when you were out there?
2: No, I think I actually only went once or twice, because I was such a good girl that I wouldn't disobey my parents.
0: Right, and... I know I went to the museum uh, to check out the Bigfoot cast, and they didn't have it at the time. They had it, I think it's back under some uh, moth-eaten tarps back there collecting dust. But yeah, it actually supposedly did exist. And uh, lots of people would always talk about ghost cars and sightings of a woman in a blue shirt. Did any of your friends that went there that were the bad kids ever tell you about that at school the next day?
2: Yeah, a lot of them talked about it, the things that they had seen and um, the voices they heard and all that kind of stuff that went on down there.
0: And I heard that there was like a, a nun cult or something that lived out there. Is that true? Do you know if any of that's true? I never heard any of that. And the one last thing is there was a bakery out there where a guy found his daughter dead and supposedly went home and killed his whole family. Did you know anything about that?
2: No, that wasn't something that I knew about. I was very protected. <laughs> right.
0: right, okay. Well, thanks for sharing your experiences about the the road. And I guess that's, you know, it kind of makes sense. Some of the stuff I've, I've read about people saying about it was that they went out there, they perpetuated the story so that other people wouldn't bother them while they were out there. So I don't know how much of it's true and, and how much is fake. So any, anything else, any creepy stuff that's happened to you not on that road but in the area or anything?
2: No, I can only think of one thing that really creeped me out was um, after my mom passed, my granddaughter said that she was fine in the back seat in the dark in the car because grandma was there with
0: her. That's crazy. That is a ghostly uh, story. That, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Kay, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: Well, so. Kay was not the person to talk to. She tried to hook me up with one of her friends that was a high school buddy that had a seance out on that road and went out there all the time to party with friends and do crazy, creepy stuff. But that friend uh, kind of blew it off too, just like everyone else at the museum, just not interested in the hauntings or any of the spooky sightings that went out there. I did ask Kay what, you know, a little bit more about the story about her granddaughter, and it's kind of freaky. This is weird her granddaughter I don't know how old she is or how old she was when this happened but uh, had never met her mother and which would have been her granddaughter's obviously great grandma and was scared of the dark was riding in the in the car seat in the back alone one night and uh, was usually a little bit scared and and told her yeah I'm not scared because Grandma's here with me. And when she said, who are you? What are you talking about? And then when they went in the house, she pointed to a picture of Kay's mother, who she had never met and said, Gram- this is Grandma. She was back here with me. Whoa. Kind of freaky, huh? Well, uh, to sum up, Proctor Valley... Um, I a little bit about the bakery, of course, I, there was nothing to substantiate any of the myths except for that the bakery actually was there and it actually did exist. Uh, there's nothing substantiating the fact that the guy found his daughter hanging in the basement or she had fallen down the stairs to the bottom storage room of the bakery. so he came up and killed all his staff. I could not find anything to substantiate that story, but it's pervasive out on the in the internet and in the area as part of its local folklore and the sighting of the blue women or a woman in blue uh, if you didn't pick her up or you would see her huddled on the side of the dirt road at night as you drove down she would uh, call out to be helped and if you didn't pick her up you would die or she would kill you and if you did pick her up she'd kill you well when I rode out there I did see a woman in blue and there was supposedly like a nun a nunnery or some sort of uh, cult that had Sisters or nuns in it, and they're dressed in blue, and that's where that myth came from. And I did assume the first thing I saw after I left the well developed neighborhood, modern neighborhood, and crossed over that first eerie uh, patch of broken asphalt to wind my way down to the dirt road, there was a woman in blue, all blue, underneath a tree. But she had a backpack and a cell phone, and I don't think it was the crazy woman in the gown that they were talking about, roaming the hill at night or the road at night. The other thing was this bigfoot creature that Kay was talking about, and that others have talked about, and that supposedly they had a cast of the foot at the uh, historical museum. That thing was a minotaur or has been said to be a minotaur or some sort of bovine. Some teacher, I guess, took a class out there, uh, and they saw a weird looking bovine or something. So there's a minotaur Bigfoot out there, supposedly the other one that's very common is lights, headlights on the road that, uh, appear behind you out of nowhere and then chase you to the end of the road. And once you get to the end of the road, they back up and uh, recede. Now, I did see one account online of somebody saying that they love to go park their old car out there and turn the headlights off, and when kids would come down the road, they'd flick on their lights and chase them. (coughs) So that could explain part of it. But the legend goes that the headlights have zero car or zero body of car behind it and if you're looking forward on this dirt road because you cannot look back trust me um, you will wipe out even in a car that you wouldn't be able to see the body of a car if they had their brights on or something so I doubt you know light goes forward not really backwards that well and if there's no car behind them you wouldn't see the body of the car just the headlights so that could probably be written off as people playing pranks on kids so yeah I'm sorry to report that Proctor Valley yielded nothing, but it still is a pretty creepy area. And if you were out there late at night, especially alone, like I was, and like I had intended to be, I was going to go back until my bike got shaken halfway apart. Uh, Yeah, it would be pretty creepy, and I would really not like to drive that road at night because of the dangers of traversing it in a motorcycle. Take a car. All right, well... That's about it. I did make up some good ghost jokes, and then I'll tell you my last ghost story. So let's get into some ghost jokes. At crummy gross joke, gross joke, ghost joke time. I wrote these myself. I made them up. And by the time the next episode comes out, if my computer hasn't died on me it'll be coming up on election day now i know liza said i do a lot of political stuff and i'm going to stray away from it but i made up some good motorcycle related political jokes so for this show i thought some ghost jokes were appropriate um what type of motorcycle does a ghost ride a booper moto oh and what type of ride is the scariest when you're on your booper moto a guligan ride oh and uh the last joke i came up with was did you hear about the drag racing mummy after 60 feet her ride really started to unravel <laughs> radical so there was a bunch more i was thinking of but i just didn't write them down but there would have been there's some cool dracula jokes in there and all right, regardless, so now I'm going to tell you a ghost story of mine, and it's not really motorcycle-related, I'm sorry, but it's, I don't know, might be spooky. So the very first thing that ever happened to me when I was a little kid, my friend who is actually a very good motorcyclist and got me into riding, um... I was at his house and we were like i said little kids i couldn't have been like 10 i must have been around 10 and we were playing we'd always play matchbox all day long matchbox and hot wheels and talk about how we couldn't wait to grow up to be mechanics and we loved the movie mad max and we would just play in the dirt all day we both we grew up out in the country sort of and tons of dirt to play with and Obviously, growing up out in the country, lots of livestock as well. You know, his his family had a lot of cows, and my family had a lot of chickens and horses. So, uh, yeah, lots of weird animals around. And He had a goat and a bunch of dogs, too. Now, we were playing out there in the dirt one day, just doing our matchbox thing and hanging, and he had to go in to go pee or get a sandwich or something. And so I said, okay, I'll wait. It was a nice warm, I want to say it was a late summer's day, and, uh, we, after he went inside, I'm just sitting out there enjoying the breeze. There was a nice breeze and we were under these big pepper trees and he had this huge, huge property with like a bunch of old chicken sheds. And I know that they had a ton of animals around there. And all of a sudden right next to me, it was like a dog side. It was like, and some dust flew, like not like a dust devil or like the wind whipped up and hit the dust like literally some very local dust right near the ground like two little puffs of dust kicked up and I thought dude that's like a dog just sighed and the breath from his nose just kicked some dust up that is the weirdest thing and I kind of freaked out I don't it's weird that I remember the story but I don't remember if I ran in the house I don't think I did I think I waited for him to come back out or or I ran to the porch where he was. And then when he came out, I I asked him, I said, dude, there was like a dog, like sigh over here. And it was really, it freaked me out so much. I had to tell him. And then his mom said, well, we had an old dog that used to lay out there. So that's kind of weird. That can be kind of written off to like, I don't know, maybe it was the dust. And uh, I don't know what the noise, it could have been like some, I don't know. We, we can we can dismiss that as a little kid freaking out and believing in everything, right? Little kid's brain. Uh, some of the sort of same stuff happened when I was in high school. I swear I heard like screaming in my house or like someone trying to communicate with me somehow. And like the name Michael popped in my head and i wasn't a big stoner or like a big acid freak i i got so literally like agitated that i ran out of my house i was like freaking out and i was like dude who is in my like what is in my house with me but that could also be like teenager and hormones and just stupid stuff you know it's interesting that a lot of people hear screams and stuff like that to me because sound is one of the one of the things that your body can Produce without actually having to have it there. If you want to try to remember how something smelled, you kind of have to have it there to re-smell it. If you want to know how something tastes, you have to put it back on your tongue to taste it. If you want to remember how something looked, that's pretty interesting because you can conjure up an image and sound, you can sing a song in your head and hear it perfectly right now. So sound is one of those things that I think your brain can kind of trick you into believing that you're hearing even if you're not, just because your brain doesn't your ear doesn't need to actually have its anvil and cochlea stimulated in order for you to perceive that there was a sound i think your brain can make up sounds so we we'll write all those off which is what makes the last thing troubling to me i had worked in healthcare for a while i was uh i i worked at a as a behavioral counselor at a day program for adults that were um, mentally retarded and had a dual diagnosis of like schizophrenia or some sort of schizoaffective disorder, autism, things like that. They had a dual diagnosis of of a, a mental disorder with mental retardation. And I started out in a home and I worked in the home for a little bit and then I moved on to a, a day program that was socializing people and... uh a, got a little work crew together, which would get guys out in the community and kind of like, you know, get them doing something useful, making some bucks. We would get paid for um, landscaping and that was easy enough for them to do. So we do a little bit of landscaping and I'd get, you know, like I said, get them out in the community and help me teach them social skills and get their behavior under control and keep them active and yada, yada. And there was this one place that we used to go to uh, up in this town called Poway. And Poway, I don't know, it's a kumie Indian word or like a Guido, San Guido Indian, a Native American, I should say, word for whatever, uh, like a Little Valley or something like that. And Poway is an old community. I think the first people that lived there uh, were some ranchers that had uh, adobe houses. And I eventually started working at one of these homes. I worked for a long time in this in a town called Spring Valley, working with the woman uh, who would later teach me to manage my own facility and While I was working with her, I got a job at her facility and I was working the weekends and you would work forty eight hours straight so I'd work from midnight Friday night to midnight sunday night and the asshole that came in on Sunday nights was Always fucking late. I was so fucking glad when I left that place and got my own facility. Um, So at any rate, I'd spend 48 hours with the guys. And this house that we had was extremely interesting. Had a storied past. When I first started working there, I asked my boss, I said, what's up with this house? It's weird. Like the concrete outside has like leaves and horseshoes and like weird old rope pressed into it. And it's not like modern concrete. It's kind of greenish and rocky. And she said, yeah, this house is super old. The courtyard had these weird like slits in it. And she said those slits were where pioneers or like, I don't know, people would put rifles and basically like murder slits in a castle. That's where they would shoot out from. And it had a weird layout to it. It had like wings to it, like a, uh, a north wing and like a East wing or something like that. And then it had this like two story house next to it. And you could look at it and you could kind of say this, the, the uh, design of the house inside felt like a barn. I said, this looks like a barn in here. And she said, yeah, it used to be an old carriage house. She told me, I'm not hundred percent sure how accurate this is, but that it was a, uh, one of the stage stops for the Butterfield Overland Express or the Overland Mail. And that basically, uh, yeah, this was a Pony Express house or there was a Pony Express stop in the area. And this was like a, a stage, this, uh, this Adobe house that we were, you know, uh, had our con- uh, patients in or the con the consumers or the, whatever you want to call them, our, uh, the people we took care of, they, it was this old Adobe house that had been built a long time ago and it had a long history the place gave me the creeps a little bit and not, not really. It was a bright place. I mean, the guys that were with us, they really had really crazy mental behaviors and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was enough to keep us occupied day to day and, and administering meds and cooking meals for them and just kind of getting them to try and socialize and, and interact with each other and us and not kill each other. So that took up enough of the day to day, but at night, the place got really different. Everyone went to sleep and I had a hard time falling asleep there. I was supposed to, you know, I'm the 48 hour overnight staff and I need to be alert in case something happens, a medical emergency or somebody starts having a behavior or something. They could get pretty crazy when they, when they, uh, started acting out and couldn't, stop the voices in their head or whatever was happening or couldn't control their behavior and they needed somebody. So that's, you know, that's what I was there for. And being by myself with all these guys was a little freaky, but they were cool. I never really had anything happen to me by myself. So I, there was this one room upstairs in that these two autistic guys uh, shared a room together and their closet was deep. It was like you could walk in and then Right, you park, park two motorcycles in there probably. And uh, it was all so freaking cold in there. And it gave me the creeps, even in bright daylight, even during the middle of the day with the lights on in the closet. It was like weird. I did not want to be in there. And uh, so, yeah, one one night. The, here, here's I'm going to give you the breakdown. Uh, the craziest thing that happened to me there was one morning I'm in the uh, kitchen and... And uh, my friend comes in and she's eating a snack. She's eating some macaroni or something. And we were bullshitting. And uh, I was cutting up a tomato for lunch or making the guys lunch or something. And uh, she's about to eat her macaroni. She takes a, a fork full and she holds it up to her mouth. And I she looks at it and she goes, <sighs> like, this is disgusting what I'm about to eat. Okay, so she does that. And then... She looks over her shoulder and then she looks back at me and her eyes are huge. And she was a black woman and she was like whiter than I was. And I was like, what? Like, and she jumped toward me and I thought she was going to jump into my arms. She's like, you didn't hear that. And I was like, hear what? And she was all that. And I was like, yeah, like you just now going to eat your (laughs) macaroni. And she said, that wasn't me. And, you know, I'm an empiricist. I have to see it to believe it. I'm a I'm a skeptic. I didn't think anything of it. I what I have to gauge this encounter off of is her reaction. She was like a no bullshit, single mother, hard ass black woman. And she took care of business. And when she was in there with the consumers, nobody had a bad day. She wouldn't allow it. You know what I mean? So she was like a tough ass bitch. And to see her react like that, like turn wider than I did and her eyeballs turned as big as golf balls. I was like, what? And I, I heard the noise. That's what later would freak me out is that I heard the noise and I just thought it was her looking the look she had on her face as she's lifting the macaroni to her mouth I just thought she was giving a sigh like "Uh, this is like gonna taste like shit but that noise wasn't her and she said you know and, and when she looked over her shoulder and then looked at me like all freaked out she said I was getting ready to eat my macaroni and you know how those guys, there's a couple of guys, can't name names um, for privacy issues, but you know how so-and-so will always come up when you got food and look over your shoulder. She's like, I felt this presence there. And then that sigh in my ear. And I was about to turn around to see if it was so-and-so looking at my food and there was nobody there. And so literally, that's what I ha- I had witnessed the whole thing firsthand, but I didn't realize what was happening And uh, after she told me what she had just done in the last 20 seconds, it all like flooded through my brain. And I was like, oh, my God, I heard the sound. I thought it was you. So I didn't think anything of it. I saw you turn around and look and then look back at me all crazy. I had no idea why you looked behind you. But now that you say that, she said she felt this presence come up on her. And then that noise happened. And so that shit freaked me out a little bit just a little bit not too crazy just because in my brain I first rationalized it as her you know so that's one thing and I try to dismiss that and I I know she swears that that was not her and the whole reason she looked over her shoulder is because she felt somebody there and when she looked nobody was there so I actually saw that happen that was weird but nothing like getting a knock on the door in the middle of telling a scary story so that's one thing that happened. The other thing that happened to me was, of course, since I was the overnight staff there, one night, uh, everyone's in bed, of course, and this house, people started telling me things here and there of what had happened at this house. And this house was an old, old house. The courtyard that I mentioned earlier with the ropes and the horseshoes and the, the leaves, that's how they, the pioneers decorated it and that's how old this place was and that's why it was laid out the way it was with like a bunk house on one side a carriage room in the middle and then a kitchen down the other side and uh it was laid out i guess to be like a, a rest stop and so who knows how long people had been coming here and what had transpired over the last century or so but uh It was interesting to hear some of the stories that the other staff had. Now, I'm not going to tell you those because, well, I might tell you them later, but as being a skeptic, it is inconsequential to my stories. But here's something that really happened to me. So I'm laying there one night on the couch, and after everyone would go to bed, I'd do some paperwork, I'd fill out the med sheets, um, the behavioral charts for the day, and everything would be winding, you know, the last guys would go to bed. I'd usually fall asleep around midnight and try to get the guys in bed by 10 at the latest. You know, uh, they are adults after all and they have their own minds and sometimes those minds are working overtime, but they were, they were pretty good about, Hey, keep that quiet. So they were pretty good about going to sleep and everything. And then, uh, so yeah, I'm laying there. It's just after midnight. I, slept kind of light there and then i don't know exactly what time it was but i'm thinking i think it was around twelve thirty or 1 i guess and i hear the front door open and it's a squeaky front door out to the courtyard it opens and then it slowly closes and i am sleeping in the ca- in the living room is where i would stay at night i didn't have my own bed there so i would sleep on the couch and i'm in the room that has the door and so luckily the couch was on the other side of the room from the door or i probably would have been glued to the ceiling but what i decided to do is look at the door and there's nobody out in the courtyard because it was glass glass doors uh window you know glass window uh pane doors and there's nobody in the courtyard And there's nobody in the house and there's nobody due to be at the house at that time. I mean, the next people were going to be there at like eight in the morning the next day and nobody's up wandering around. No lights are on in the house except for the small nightlight that was on always in the living room. And so I just put the sheet back over my head and went to sleep and I laid there like obviously eyes open wide for like 10 minutes until I could like, nothing touched me, nothing happened, I fell asleep. But that was a little unnerving, having the door in the room that you're sleeping in open and then close and uh, nothing be there. And the room being very dim and all that to, to boot. Now, the next thing happened to me, uh, as we were packing up to leave, we were, get, we were getting ready to leave this place. And uh, we were kind of happy to be moving to a new facility and um, kind of get rid of this place. My my boss had tons of stories, and I'll tell you one in a minute. But uh, we're sitting there, and I'm on the couch. And uh, I, had, I had just finished packing some stuff. I sat down for a minute. Uh, I think I was filling out some paperwork. And I feel the couch moving under my butt. And I looked down and the pillow's wiggling and I was like, oh, this is rad. And I said, hey, don't say, hey, Alan, one of the people I was working with, I said, hey, man, don't do anything. Hang on. And I call one of the uh, residents of the house over and I say, hey, you know, and he's a really high functioning guy. He was pretty cool about stuff. And I said, hey, man, come over here. Come sit on the couch. And he's like, why, man? Why do you want me to sit on the couch? I said, no, just do it. Just do it, man. Just sit on the couch. And he's like, what? And uh, he looks down and he sees the pillow wiggling also. (laughs) And he says, what? And I said, oh, darn it. Ellen's under there. And, uh, he, he, uh, Oh, okay. Okay. Ah, I'm going to go get someone. And, and, you know, there was all range of, um, of, uh, functionality, functioning level of person there we had really low functioning people and really high functioning he's going to go get another high functioning guy and freak him out. Yeah, this is going to be funny. And we get him to come in and sit on the couch and he sits on the couch and, uh, what the heck? And he gets up and the, the, the cushion is wiggling under his leg and he leaves and and I was cracking up, and another one of my workers comes, uh, you know, cohorts comes in. His name was Steve. And I was like, Steve, dude, this is so funny. Sit on the couch. And he sits on the couch, and the pillow wiggles. And Steve gets up, and we're having a good laugh. And I was like, dude, Alan's under there. He's shaking the cushion, dude. Go get another uh, resident and let's have some fun. This is our last day, you know, let's have a little bit of fun with the guys. And I'm, I'm sitting on the couch, and I continue to fill out paperwork when Alan, the other uh, staff walks through the front door and I look at him and I jump off the couch and I know my eyes are big. Cause he looked at me like, dude, what, what? I was like, Alan, Alan. And he's going, what, what dude, what? And he's looking at me like, why are you look like you're in such shock? And I look down at the couch and the, he comes over and the p- pillow wiggles and we flipped that couch upside down. We tore all the cushions off it because at that point, I think there's a mouse or a rat in the couch and we need to get it out. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like w- this is a, uh, a facility. We're not supposed to have like vermin in here. We tore that couch apart. Nothing in it whatsoever. Um, I, don't, I can't tell you what was jiggling the pillow that day. There was nothing in the couch. Um, we looked in the bottom of the couch and the there was like a liner underneath that was like stapled and sewed on to the bottom. And so a, a mouse couldn't even get into the springs of the couch. And we ran our hands on the insides uh, under the cushions. Obviously, we took all the cushions and pillows off and ran our hands Uh, in the in the crease between the back and the seat part of the the couch where the springs were nothing there was no holes we were like I said we got to find like dig like look there was no holes for anything to get in so I couldn't tell you what was wiggling the cushion but that's the weirdest thing something was wiggling the cushion that's all I know and I'm not saying it was a ghost or paranormal or anything like that but something was wiggling the cushion and so those are the two things that happened to me is the uh, the door opening and closing and the cushion wiggling on the last day I was there. The last day we were there, we were packing up to leave. And I think whatever was there was having a good time with us now. Oh, and the noise that my friend didn't make in the kitchen. So I guess three things happened to me. Now, that room that I felt really weird in, I told my boss about it the day we were leaving and she said, you know what? I, I she says I hate talking to people about this house because she worked there all the time. And once I started managing my own facility, I was at it all the time too. So I know exactly what she's talking about. You're there at all times during the day and the night, you're covering shift if some of the staff members don't come in and you're always on call as a manager. So you might be there at six in the morning, you might be there at one in the afternoon. If you're meeting with psychologists and stuff, you'd be there writing plans and going over uh, service plans and stuff all in the middle of the day and you're there to prep beforehand and for meetings yada yada make a long story short you basically live at the house and for her that house had been a non-stop hell hole, basically she had been like physically assaulted by something in the driveway she bent over to pick up a book the uh a binder of patient info that she had dropped and she got pushed from behind and, and went down on one knee uh several of the patients there saw blobs in the window, black blobs, uh, and wouldn't sleep in what they called the dungeon, which was the lower level of the bunkhouse. It stepped down two steps, so they decided to call it a dungeon. Nobody would sleep down there. Not the staff wouldn't go in there. The patients would refuse to go in there and It basically got boarded up and they only used it for storage. And it's because people got so freaked out. And I have to admit, when I first started working there this first week, I knew nothing of these stories. I heard nothing. Uh, They didn't want anybody to hear anything because they didn't want people to get freaked out and get these things put into their head before you actually work there. And I even, like, looked at the, quote, dungeon as I was walking by because the windows You can imagine there's like four or five bedrooms in a row, small bedrooms like bunk rooms, and each one has this huge window. It was an old house, so sunlight was important because you didn't really have lights. So these big windows l- l- looking into these, like, empty, long bedrooms. And I felt weird walking past them at night when I would leave. And it was like, ugh, I get the creeps. But that room that I – that closet in the, uh, the upstairs room that I always felt cold in and felt weird even in the mid of the day, she told me that before we had it, it was a – um it was a house for people that were purely um, like not mentally retarded and uh, schizophrenic, whatever. It was just for schizophrenic people, just people with uh, mental disorders, not mental retardation. And somebody had like gotten crazy and got depressed and killed themselves in that closet, hung themselves. And she told me that, of course, after we moved and she's like, you know how you told me that closet gave you the creeps? I didn't want to mention anything then, but somebody killed themselves in that room. And, uh, lots of times that she was there, things flew across rooms or flew off walls and other staff members had seen it. And, uh, when she was there one time, one of the psychologists came in and he slammed the door And she called his name and she went and he was not there. She reopened the door and went back into the office and it slammed again. And she said, she called his name and he wasn't there. So she uh, went out and third time's a charm, you know, the door slammed again. She just left it shut. She was sick of doors slamming on her and getting pushed and seeing things. Um, I had a good friend that worked the 48-hour shift before me. I actually took it over for him. And he showed up a little bit early for his shift one time which would, would have been nice if the guy that took over my shift would do that. But yeah, he said one night he was sitting there in his car waiting for his shift to start, and he thought he'd take like a, a half-hour, hour nap uh, in the driveway. And he said he saw, heard something and saw something against his window. And when he, he was reclined back and he looked up to his driver's side window, and he saw like a figure move and go forward and he turned on the lights and it went and vanished into some of the tall grass that was, uh, it was adjacent to this hillside and the hillside had nothing on it it was just like a went up to some scrub brush up there and apparently there was a Native American burial ground up there I don't believe that because I've looked at Google Earth photos and I think that people would like lay a little bit more claim to some burial ground but he said that it ran off in the grass in that general direction and disappeared and he got out of his car and he went looking and there was nobody there but uh, other staff members said that they were sleeping in what was like another side room that ended up getting boarded up because nobody would go in it and used for storage. And at one time there was a long sort of like chair bed in there and they were sleeping and they heard these little voices and giggles and they woke up and they couldn't sit up. Now that could just be like a dream where you feel like you're moving and you can't. So I mean I'm, I'm writing most of this stuff off but enough things happen to staff members there independently of one another Um, that I kind of can believe. And then, of course, with what happened to me, I can kind of believe that some weird stuff did happen there. Now, was it ghosts? I don't know. But it sure was freaky. And, you know, pillows don't just move themselves. And that was the freakiest thing for me is that this thing was moving. Like, I felt it pushing my butt. And I was laughing about it because I thought it was a guy under the couch pushing the cushion. And when he walked in the front door... I tell you what, I jumped off that couch so fast, and I don't think I ever sat on it again. We moved uh, to a new facility that week, so uh, coincidentally, the or actually probably because we moved to a new facility, all the crazy things stopped, and no more weird stuff happened to any of the staff at the new facility. And this old Adobe house is still there in Poway, and uh, yeah, I, I wonder. I've always wondered if the new residents have ever had anything weird happen to them so that's it for the show uh, I'd like to say thanks to Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugies, and I uh, hope you can enjoy pre-order their album enjoy some cool jump blues and stuff like that and uh, only a couple outtakes because this was all pretty easy to talk about and most of it's pre-recorded and sorry
1: lists well let's do it Good evening, this is Dr. K with my own little ghost story to tell. I once worked at a hotel in San Diego, it was on a 40-acre compound, and I worked the overnight shift, and there wasn't really a lot to do. So a lot of times I would have to go around and do various tasks, and look, look out for stuff and just make sure things were going, going smooth throughout the night. And a lot of times I had time to kill. So I would just explore the place. And there were some rooms that they said there were things that people had seen, like some other, the security guards or some of the housekeepers had seen going up there. And one was a meeting room on top of one of the buildings. And also this hotel had quite a few incidents there where people had died and Stuff like that. I think every hotel has that. But this one particular instance, I decided in the middle of the wintertime when nobody was hardly staying there, and it was deserted like a ghost town, I decided to go up to one of the meeting rooms, the one that they said that some people had some experiences with. And mind you, too, it was pitch black I didn't have a flashlight or anything like that. Um, There were some lights from the outside. You could see it was barely illuminated. And I really didn't know the layout of the room that well. But I went up there and I had a key, like a master key. So I went in the room and I was walking around and it was really quiet. And it's kind of spooky because you realize you're by yourself and there's nobody else around you and there's nobody else in any of the buildings around you. And I walked in, and I was walking around this room, and it was kind of eerie, just because it was so quiet, but also because there was there was like reflections, like they had a couple of mirrors here and there, and it was just really creepy because when you turn around, you think you see something, and then there's there was a like a you, you take a like oh is that my reflection I just saw, and at one point I was walking and I thought I heard some clinking like a glass because it had like a bar there, like a, like a bar set up with all the glasses and everything around. And there was, no, there was no heating or air on or nothing like that. And I thought I heard some clinking. And then so I stopped and I was super still. And, and like I said too, it was pretty dark in there. Like it was barely, I could barely see just because like the outside lights were barely lighting up the place. And... So I was trying to figure out where I heard this clinking sound. And I was walking over, kind of creeping by the bar and looking around. And I stopped and I looked up. And across the room, I saw what I thought was like a silhouette. And I was like, oh, crap. It might be, you know, oh, is that a mirror? And I looked and I realized there wasn't a mirror there. And then... I thought maybe like a like another worker would come in like a security guard or something like that. So I called out a name one of the security guards thinking it was him and no response. And then I realized, I was like, um, I don't think there's a person there, but it kind of looked like there was someone standing there. So I kind of crept around to the side, but it kind of fell in shadow so I couldn't really see that well. And I kind of started making my way back to the door. Of course, facing what I thought was a silhouette that I'd seen and not sure. And then realizing that nobody else, because there were there were two entrances to the room, which is why I thought somebody might have come in the other one because it was kind of across the way. But then I realized, like, mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing any doors open either. So I just kind of crept around and and made my way back out to the door and took off. And it was just really creepy because that room itself was just, it's like when you go in there, the air was just kind of stifling. And and it wasn't, I don't know. There's just something about that place that kind of gave me the creeps after I went in there. And I didn't like it either. Especially after hearing that weird clinking sound and not knowing where it came from. And so after that, I didn't really, I didn't really go in that room if I didn't have to. Thank you,
0: Dr. K, for that story of Horror. In the
1: haunted hotel. All right, here's the sorry list. Creative Writing would like to apologize to the following. Johnny J and the Flatfoot Flugies, Alta Motorcycles. Lisa and Naked Jim. Sorry, Liza and Naked Jim. Red Bull Straight Rhythm Section. Newcombs Ranch. Bri Viffer. Car Cheap Trick. The City of Poway, California. K, Proctor Valley, California and Proctor Valley Road, Steve and Alan, Ghosts, Satan, Holy Hill, Wisconsin, and last but not least, Dr. K. All right, everybody, that's been the show. Stick
0: around for episode 50 when we celebrate one years of being creative Writing motorcycle podcast. We'll catch you next time. And in the meantime, keep your freaks between the sheets. Mm-hmm. Ooh, happy Halloween. So, oh no, what's going on here? My audio. I think my hard drive is crashing guys. Uh, other anything that rhymes with a ghoul or, or boo is pretty much, you know, a uh, slap on the face right there and, and oh God, what am I doing? I'm digressing. <laughs>